0: Thank you. Morning, everybody. Very good to see you, and welcome from me too. And um, gosh, so much going on. I'm sure that that there's a lot of uh, sort of focus around Ukraine, clearly, and we see through different filters, don't we? But let's just keep praying. Pray, pray, pray. Let's never think that it's somehow a second-best alternative. It's the best thing that we can do. We may feel helpless, but let's let's keep there in prayer. I want to commend that Ukraine appeal. Uh, if you haven't given to that, do, do give to that. And all the other things that we're, we're doing in and around Lent too. I won't do a show of hands because uh, some of these things are so sort of personal and private. But I hope we are talking about them and sharing them. And, um, and are you fasting? Have you, have you stepped into that gift and discipline? Um, just try resources on the, on the website and so on. Uh, but in all of that, I hope you had a good weekend too, even if you're an England rugby fan. Um, So well done the the French and the Scots and the Irish and the referee at at Twickenham yesterday (laughs) who had an absolute blinder after 82 seconds. I was actually on a golf course uh, enjoying family time with with my lads, which is also just a little reminder that I've got this theory that most blokes have got some golf clubs somewhere, so it's time to dust them off and Saturday the 2nd of April just needs to be in your diary. We're going to play some golf together, so uh, watch out for details of that. So here's a question. What would you like written on your headstone? Do you ever think about that, slightly morbid thoughts? Or put it a different way. What would you like your legacy to be uh, in life? Or put it a slightly different way. If one story from your life was the only story that was going to be told of you, what would you like that story to be? What story from your life? If history recorded just one thing, what would it be that you would want to have remembered? Um, Would you go lighthearted? the time I swam across the River Thames naked in the middle of London, um, true story, <laughs> I'll tell it another time, um, or fell into, fell into the sea lion pond as a, as a youngster, or um, enjoyed eating boiled goat's head, um, I, think, I think I told that story a couple of years ago in the middle of Kenya, uh, whilst bringing people to faith in Jesus, it was an interesting combination. I don't know. What about you? What story would, would, would you have told? Well, this is the only story, that, the one that we're focusing on and, and have already uh, begun to enter into in the, in the whole of the, the Gospels, where Jesus said, what happened here will be told forever. It's the only time he ever says that. What happens, he says it, what happens in, in this little moment here will be told forever. And the central character in the story is this woman. And what is she remembered for? What is it that we recall her? As you're thinking about what you want to be remembered for, what she remembered for, what she's remembered for is the depth of her worship. So clearly part of our focus today is to to be asking the Lord, what is it about the depth of her worship that we need to learn from? What was it that took her deeper in worship? Is that something that you and I might like to be remembered for too? It's a bit like a YouTube clip. So many of the gospel uh, sort of uh, stories are, are like that, aren't they? It's like a YouTube clip. We don't get too much of the background. We don't quite see what happens next. We, we'd love to. In heaven, we'll know one day what happened next. But here's the YouTube clip right there. Um, and and as, we, as I read I'm going to read the story just so that we get the full kind of impact of it. Put yourself in the clip. It might t- try in your imagination to take yourself there. I wonder who you identify with, by the way, in the story. This little scene that's been you know, watched and, and, and liked, if you like, millions of times. It's in Luke 7. I'm going to read the, the version from Luke 7, uh, 36 to 50, and it's on the screen, or you can find it in your, in your Bibles there. I'm going to read it quite fast, but let's take ourselves there. In imagination, depth of worship. Would that be an aspiration of yours? Lord, I want to go deeper in my love and affection and worship of you. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, he reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him, as she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, she kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. There's a lot going on in the story. It's a good one. But I know if we've been doing the devotionals we will have been reflecting on it through the week and no doubt the Lord has already spoken to those who engage with it in, in different sorts of ways. I'm just going to throw out a few headlines about this deeper worship uh, that I believe the Lord wants to speak to us about and and the first thing friends to always to remember is that it is a response. Worship is a response first and foremost. We so love to think that we're always taking the initiative, but we need to point out now it's God who always takes the initiative. Bible says we love, why? Because he first loved us. I know that we know it. We've heard it a hundred times, but we need to keep hearing it. We love because he first loved. This is a response here. We follow because he first called us. We have life because he first put his life and breath into us. We worship because he's revealed who he is to us. There was a book published once with a load of testimonies in it, and it was was, uh, from kind of famous Christians, and it was entitled The Best Decision I Ever Made. And one of the contributors to that book, having contributed his testimony, nearly withdrew it when he saw the title of the book. I thought he was being a bit sort of picky about it, but he objected to the reality that it's kind of suggested that I've made this decision, I've initiated it, I've chosen, and he wanted it known, and he put it as a prefix to his testimony in the book. I need to, you need to know that God first chose, God first called, God first loved, God first set me free, and that is. And I'm sure, I had to make a decision, but it was a response to what the Lord's done first. The Father decides first; He chooses first; He acts first; He loves first; we follow. So here's this woman, she's known in the village as sinful, we don't know the details, but there's something in her spirit, isn't there, that recognizes this this wandering rabbi. Something about the purity of him, the holiness of him, the power of him, he's so much more than just a teacher, and she responds to him in this extraordinary and beautiful way that is only appropriate for God, it's only appropriate for the King of Kings. Jesus tells her her sins are forgiven, only God can do that. It's yet another of those places in the Bible where the divinity of Jesus is on full display. Only God can do what he's doing. Her faith in him has saved her. Only God can do that. And God's done it for us, friends. As he's done it for her, so he's done it for us. If you're somebody who has received that gift, said yes, opened your heart, what does that look like for you your depth of worship he's held out this forgiveness he's held out cleansing from all the rubbish in and out of inside and outside given gifts of peace and grace and mercy and all the rest set us free to know freedom and wholeness. So in worshiping Jesus like this woman, what are we doing? We're setting our affection back on him. We're setting our attention back on him. In this case, setting our allegiance back on him. Affection, attention, allegiance. That's not a bad definition of worship. But here comes the killer, or one of the killer questions. How much how much? And Jesus goes head on for this question how much worship, how much devotion, how much affection, allegiance, etc. What in other words, what depth of, of worship? She has shown great love. Verse 47. And he's contrasting great love with little love. It's challenging, isn't it? So much about this story is challenging. And what makes the difference according to this passage, according to Jesus here, as to whether I show great love or not so much? It's directly linked to how much I know that I've been forgiven, he says. Deeper worship comes from deeper awareness of grace. And this woman is aware of how much she's been forgiven. It's interesting, isn't it? Sinners are attracted to Jesus. We need to see that. Sinners are attracted to Jesus. It's the religious spirit, not the Holy Spirit, that keeps people from Jesus. And that says, you're not good enough to come to him. These people are coming all the time. Remember the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? That toxic comparison attitude. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that scumbag tax collector over there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this woman in the story who's known to be incredibly immoral. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person that I can conjure up in my head who's clearly a bad person, an evil person. Thank you that I'm not like any of those people. Well, it's the religious spirit too, isn't it? And not the Holy Spirit that says, you need to clean up your act before you can come close completely untrue. It's the total opposite the gospel record shows us, doesn't it? This story amongst others. It's only by coming close to Jesus, to the Father, in humility that we then get cleaned up. Not something we need to sort of do over there somehow in a religious way and then present ourselves as if we're clean. It's the religious spirit, not the Holy Spirit, that says, well, I'm not too bad and I'm not nearly as bad as as that person, as X or Y or Z so maybe I don't need quite as much forgiveness as them. If you don't think you need much forgiveness, what does this passage say? You won't love much. And I'm pretty sure I'm talking to a room full of people who would love to love more, who would love to be commended by Jesus for showing great love, for having a depth of worship. Would we not? Would you not want that to be be said over you? How about the headstone thing? This person loved Jesus a lot. There was a depth of worship about this isn't that the story that you'd like to be your legacy i think it is mine not that i'd want the attention but i'd want that to be true what makes the difference an awareness of how much we've been forgiven and an awareness of how much god has set us free from and for those who have forgiven much who recognize the full extent of what they need saving from they're the ones who love much and worship deeply And if Jesus needed to go to the cross for you and for me, how much do you need forgiving? If Jesus needed to go to the cross for you and for me, how much do we need forgiving? So it follows, doesn't it, before we move on. If I want to be a person who loves much, who worships freely and fully, if I want to be that person who loves more freely, more fully, who worships more deeply, a place to start, to continue will be to be asking the Lord to reveal to us again and again and again how much it cost him, what it is that I've been saved from, what it is that he's set me free from, what what it is that he's done on the cross, what it is that he's done in my life, what he's releasing from me, uh, releasing in me, and what it cost him to do so. Would you rather be a tax collector, set free to live deeply in grace, or a Pharisee, just sort of skimming across the surface in a a slightly superficial way, doing more and trying harder to earn approval. I know which one I'd pick. What about her, though? What about the woman, then? In response to all of this, in response to this depth of awareness of her need, the, the very thing that therefore enabled her to offer a great love and a deep worship that Jesus commends her for, well, let's just notice that it, it was something that she did. Worship is a verb. I say this often here. I'm not going to dwell on it. But let's just remember, it's a verb. Yes, it starts in the heart. It's a heart attitude that then expresses itself in all kinds of ways. And we don't define worship too narrowly. It's certainly not just, you know, singing songs to a guitar. We, we get that. But it's a heart attitude that expresses itself on the outside. And I say worship as a verb just because only God can judge, therefore, what's in our hearts. With all respect, we've sung this morning, but I I don't know if we've worshipped or not. You may not know whether you've worshipped or not, but God does. So we just need to be a little bit careful, don't we? It's my little top tip always when we talk about worship. Use it as a verb, not a noun. Let's talk about, I loved worshipping the Lord this morning, rather than the worship was something. Only God can finish that sentence, surely. The worship was. Otherwise, it becomes a bit like going to the cinema. The film was great. The ice cream was not very nice. The worship was. I didn't like it this morning. Well, it's not for us. So, so a little tip to avoid that would be to say, uh, worshipping. Let's be worshipping the Lord in deeper and deeper ways. But it's an act, isn't it? It's, it's, an, it's an action, it's an expression. So here's this beautiful moment, Luke 7, worship as a verb, this expression of what? Of what's in her heart. All the gratitude, all the, all the emotion, all the things that have been revealed to her about this Beautiful God at whose feet she falls. Worship as extravagance. We've dwelt on that again beautifully this morning. The alabaster jar. She's heard that. Just picture it again. She's heard this Jesus is there. She's presumably come in uninvited. She couldn't possibly have been invited by Simon. There's Jesus there reclining at the table. And she's standing behind him, but at his feet. Emotions are running high. There's an emotional response here. Doesn't mean that there always has to be, but there is here. Tears are flowing. He doesn't move away from them. She's brought this jar, breaks off the top. Implication is it's really top perfume, not the sort of cheap rip-off stuff. And pours it out. There's an extravagance about that, isn't there? There's an extravagance. The, the, the idea is that it doesn't say it, but it's almost certain that she seems to have emptied the whole jar. Nard is such a terrible word, by the way, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't conjure up. It should be the wrong, the wrong name for a really beautiful, fragrant smell. But she pours out the whole thing. It's very full on, isn't it? But it wasn't an accident. It was really intentional. She didn't leave home, did she? And sort of forget to take something with her. You just know that there was an intentionality about this act. There was an extravagance attached to it. What is the best thing that I can offer to Jesus? Is the question I kind of imagine her asking. That's not a bad question, is it? If we're looking to grow in our depth of worship. So what is the best? What is the best that I can bring to this occasion, if it's a, an obvious occasion of worship like this, or if it's worship as, as the way that I work tomorrow morning in the office, because worship is also a way of life. Worship is the attitude we bring to our work, our friendships, our relationships, all, sort of, all sorts of things. So what is the best? What's the best that I can bring? What is the most excellent thing that I can bring? This woman brings what, the best that she can find, not just what I can get away with in order to say that I've worshiped. And of course, let's just notice, Jesus welcomes it. He welcomes the extravagance. Some in the Pharisee, the others there, they they, they don't even want her there. Jesus is really pleased that she's there. Really pleased. Her tears fall on his feet. And Jesus is fine with that. She kisses his feet. He doesn't move them out of the way. She empties her jar of perfume. He doesn't stop her from doing that. He doesn't say that's enough now. He loves it. He welcomes it. In Mark's version of the story then, uh, chapter 14, verse 6 in Mark's version, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. It's part of the incredible privilege of being the people of God that in worship we get to minister our love to Jesus. And he loves it. He really loves it. He welcomes it. He doesn't distance himself from it. He doesn't say that's enough. He doesn't say you're being over the top. He welcomes it. We get to minister to Jesus. We get to serve Jesus in this way. It's a wonderful and a beautiful thing. And if there's something that just rises up within us, a little bit of awkwardness or a little bit of Britishness or a little bit of something about that, then we need to keep our heads and our hearts in this passage, don't we? She's the hero of the story, apart from Jesus, and and everything that she does, as extravagant as it is, is welcomed by him. And of course, it's costly, follows on from the extravagance, of course it is. A year's wages... They reckon, as we heard this morning, alabaster jar. Average, I looked it up on Google, you can find any number between £32,000 a year or £38,000 a year. Take take your pick. That's the average salary in in the UK at the moment. A year's wages. Probably for her, her entire pension pot. No no pensions in those days. This is probably all of her savings for the rest of her life. That's a lot. Imagine that in your hand right now, whatever sum that represents for you right now. And it's in cash and you pour petrol on it and set it alight and it goes up in smoke. That's what she's doing right there. That costs, right? That's a decision and a half, isn't it? By the way, the perfume will have washed off Jesus' feet, you know, half a mile down the road. It's not as if it lasts forever either. And she's blown all of that on him. Very costly. And there's a cost even bigger, perhaps, in terms of of, of what others think, It's always going to attract opposition. Extravagant worship, wholehearted devotion is always going to attract opposition, isn't it? It just is, from all sorts of of different directions. But especially the the kind of religious and and rational mindset that doesn't understand kingdom values, kingdom perspective. So there's an objection. You might remember in in a similar kind of example, Judas was saying, this is ridiculous. This money could have been spent on all kinds of better things. That kind of rational, economic objection. Simon the Pharisee in this one objects. Don't you know who she is? How inappropriate? She doesn't deserve this welcome. The irony is, of course, that Simon is just as much of a sinner. He He doesn't realize it. She did. But it's not just Judas or Simon, is it? There's always opposition. From the world, the flesh, the devil. The world might say to us, you lot, you're you're weirdos in your Christian ghetto. Why why do you get together on a Sunday morning and put your arms in the air? Really, isn't that just a bit over the top? I mean, fulfill your little fantasies if you like. But yeah, blah, 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 blah. There's opposition. There just is. And if there isn't, we need to ask ourselves why not? Because authentic worship has always been opposed by the world. So old-fashioned, so out of line with progressive culture, blah, blah, blah. The flesh might well say, why bother? Maybe she did, who knew? I'm tired, I've had a hard week, life's a bit grim, it's difficult, I'll worship when I feel better. I'll engage with God in a, in, a, in a different way when I'm not quite so hungry or under pressure or in pain or feeling low or whatever. For now, I'm fine just to be distracted. The world, the flesh, the devil, the devil's always whispering, take it easy. He's so demanding this God of yours, isn't he? Or the equivalent Anything that will cut us off at the knees, keep us from praying, keep us from worshiping, keep us from giving a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And it's so unnecessary. You don't need to be so extravagant. What a waste. Implication being that there's some sort of transaction. You say something's a waste when you're not getting in return what you've given. But worship isn't a transaction, isn't it? Is it? It's not we come here, we sing five songs loudly in the hope of getting something from God. It's not that we're we're doing our fasting in Lent in order to get something from God. It's not that we give our, 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 our tie to, to the church because we want to get something back. It's, worship is never a transaction. It's a gift. It's a way of serving, it's a way of loving, it's a way of unconditionally expressing this heart attitude of, of gratitude and all the rest. And Jesus welcomes it. David says in, in that beautiful story in 1 Chronicles 21, we haven't got time to go there. Shall I give to God that which costs me nothing? The Open Doors um, prayer meeting was on Tuesday. Think about the persecuted church. It's costly worship, right? Costly worship when you have to worship in brothers and sisters around the world, where, you ha- where they have to worship in, in secret, in places where they get attacked if they were found out. How about in Ukraine right now? That's a costly worship, isn't it? In basements and you know, hideouts and all of that. Uh, but the people of God, and we need to keep praying for them. It's very moving to think when you're in your imagination. There's a cost to to staying, a cost to gathering, a cost to choosing in that place of utter desperation to focus on God, to be thankful even, to sing even our songs, that God is good even in the midst of, of chaos going on and to keep hope focused there. There's cost attached to that. It's a choice. It's a choice. Sometimes it might come easily, often it doesn't. There's a choice involved that. Through tears, through pain, through valleys, your relationship is broken, choose worship. Your finances are under strain, choose worship. Your health is bad, choose worship. Your work is boring, choose worship. You failed an exam, choose worship. And to God, the offering of that worship that comes especially, I think, from a place of, of pain and difficulty and struggle and doubt is a beautiful, fragrant offering as we minister to him. That's why we love the Psalms, isn't it? Last one, worship is, uh, here is, is an act of intimacy. It's pretty clear this is really intimate. I was reminded uh, just this week, again, even uh, letting her hair down, chances are that that would never have been done. You would never have let your hair down as a woman other than in the private place with your spouse, your husband. Again, there's a frisson of kind of awkwardness about this. The tears, the emotion, the hair, the perfume, the anointing. But you can't deny it's incredibly personal, incredibly intimate. Physical expression and worship has this physicality about it. It does. If you're a bit new to us here, or I don't know, even if you're not, or even if you're used to this, I, can we go further in the depth of worship? Not not leading with with the posture, but letting that our posture, our bodies, be an expression of what's within. That's why we in our tradition tend to be a bit more free. But I think we've got a, uh, further to go. And not to be worried about what anybody else thinks. Was this woman worried what anybody else thought? For sure, not the prime example of that. Do you want to lie on the ground? Do you want to jump up and down? Do you want to kneel? Do you want to shout? Do you want to, you know, all beautiful ways of expressing worship. But intimacy, 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 it comes from the heart. Something completely natural about that. The toddler who runs towards their parent, "Mummy, mummy, mummy! Daddy, daddy, daddy! What are they doing? Arms up!" Something beautifully intimate and attractive about that. And the kingdom of God doesn't operate rationally, obviously. There is a rationale about, actually, if it's the King of Kings and he's done all that, why would I not get emotional about that? I remember some guy saying to me, Tim, you, you shout and cheer when England score a try or, or the Gunners score a goal. Why would you not shout and cheer and put your hands in the air when uh, the King of Kings loves you? I said that about age 20. I remember it distinctly. It was a very transformative moment for me in my own kind of expression of, of worship and emotional release as part of the way that I respond to God. So there is, there is a rationality about that, but actually it's relational, isn't it? And I've always loved the fact that uh, the difference between those two words is the presence of EL, which is the Hebrew for God. What turns rational into relation? The presence of God. Something beautiful about that. Intimacy. You, you, you don't need me to say too much more about that. You know, I'm, mar- I'm married to Hills. We said some vows. You know, We made some promises. We wear rings as a symbol and so on. We share the same house and bed for 32 years. That's the reality of our status. But what is it that creates relationship between us? Connection. Intimacy. Well, it's those expressions of that, isn't it? Inemotional and physical and chocolate and flowers and things that cost a lot of money. And. Uh, and it's an expensive time of year because their birthday's on Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up. All under this heading, deep worship. Let's call it that, question mark. Allow, that, allow, your, allow yourself just to sit under that question. Deep worship, deeper worship question for you. Worship has a response, always. Only ever a response. But... Allowing the Lord to remind us a response to what and to who. Worship that gets deeper the more I actually get grace. And I get grace to the extent that I know that I need it. Worship as a verb, a heart attitude, but expressing itself in action. Worship as an extravagant offering. Worship as a costly offering. Worship as an act that invites intimacy. And actually, I think we can lose our way with this. I've been on this Christian journey a long time, so so have many of you. I think we can lose our way with this, and I love it when we get called back. I love it when we get called back to this. I love it when the Lord does something, and we've been able to immerse ourselves in this story through the week and and now again this morning, and I love it. I absolutely love it when he calls us back to something so profound and so simple and so life-giving and so right that is in, in line with so many of the aspirations of people here that we would want to go deeper with him that we will want it to be said of us, they showed great love, not just said of us by people, but said of us by Jesus. As he said of this woman, she has shown great love.